0: Including our series today on Jesus' relationship to women. Um, and we'll speak maybe more about the, the series as a whole in a minute. Uh, but we're going to be bouncing around to some different passages today. But we're going to start in, in Matthew uh, chapter 8. Um, Matthew chapter 8 is where we're going to start. Uh, but we'll move around a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8, and then we'll dive in. Father God, thank you for just this opportunity to gather as your people, to study your word. Lord, this is a, as we know, a a sacred moment. It's a moment where we don't listen to the world. It's a moment where we don't listen to the flesh on the inside, but where we listen to you and your word. And Lord, we know that the primary way that you communicate to us is through your word. So Lord, to that end, we ask that you would send your spirit into this room today that He would do the work that only He can do of of opening our eyes to see, of meaning giving us faith where we don't have it. I pray that He would come and convict us where we need conviction, those areas of our hearts where maybe we have justified sin or or ignored uh, different different aspects of our life that we need to face today. Lord, at the end of the day, I pray that uh, Your Spirit would just stir us up to You because it's in Your presence where joy is found. Lord, I pray that None of us would walk out of this room unchanged, that you would do that sanctifying work of conforming us into your image. Lord, to that end, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, men certainly have struggles with self-identity. However, I I believe women have some unique challenges struggle of self-identity or answering this question of, of who am I. For, for example, that men simply are not judged on our appearance like women are. If you think about it, when, when a lady is running for office, there's all these critiques on what she's wearing. No one cares about what a, a guy also, if a woman gets married and has children, then there's all these internal and external pressures on, on her parenting that, that are just simply different from men. And some of those pressures are, are, are cause women to lose their identity in parenting sometimes and that are just different than men. And, and related, I, I believe that many women judge themselves and each other based upon the health of their relationships different than the way men are are judged. For example, many men, if they're successful at work, even if like their home life or or their relationships are all a mess, then society deems them as successful. But it's kind of the opposite for women, right? Like maybe a woman is very successful in her professional life, but maybe her home life is a mess or, or relationships are difficult, and then the world and others in her life judge her as not being successful. Further, if a, if a lady, if she steps out of the workforce to work at home to raise her children, then there's all sorts of internal and external pressures that arise that, that men don't face. But then if she then goes back into the workforce after working at home for a season, and maybe, maybe she's gone a decade being out of the workforce, then, then there's these other pressures that come where maybe she's fallen behind from some of her peers. But again, all these self-identity issues, they arise that are unique to God choosing to make a person a woman. It's just what it is. There's these pressures that I think come. And again, I believe women have some unique challenges with this struggle of self-identity. Women can struggle with the question of who am I? Well, like I mentioned in the prayer, we're closing our series on this relation, this series on Jesus's relationship to women. And, and personally for me, this has been a very helpful study, and it, it, it's helped me uh, really push into the plight of women in general, as well as women in our church, and it's helped me clarify some convictions. It's also helped me be a little more sensitive uh, to different struggles that women have, and I, and I think looking back to this series, I think maybe I've stumbled through a few things, but, but I pray that you felt my heart in this process, and, and I pray for myself that this series has made me a better husband and a better father and a better pastor and also a better friend. And I also pray that this series has helped our church really uh, realize our prayer of being broken people, loving broken people. And as we close this series, I want to do sort of like a wrap up. And what I mean by that is I want to kind of get to Uh, maybe some real thematic things of how Jesus relates to women. Now, in in past messages, we've looked at either a particular character in the New Testament or maybe a particular passage. But I want to bounce around today. I want to look at four different passages. And the reason for that is, is I want to get to uh, kind of what I think is a theme of how Jesus relates to women. And then behind that theme, I want to get to the why. I want to get to the motivation for why Jesus relates to women in that way. And then I think it does get to that answer of, okay, who am I? How does this affect my self-identity? So through these four accounts, I I want us to see that Jesus brings healing to women. Now, this first one, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. And we're going to answer the question, do you believe that Jesus brings healing? This is the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Look at Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve. That evening they brought him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the Spirit with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. I want you to notice four things in this passage. Number one, Peter was married. Now, Jesus was not married. Paul was not married. Probably most of the disciples were not married. It does touch on the fact that if Peter was married, and he is this leader in the church, and I think different than the way our Roman Catholic friends view the priesthood, it's okay uh, for leaders in the church to get married. Can we amen that? i amen that. but, but it is important to notice that the scripture is clear. If, if God leads you to remain single, that, that's good. Singleness is good. Also, if God leads you to be married, uh, I think it's important to know that marriage is good. Okay, second, the fact that she immediately rose and she immediately wanted to serve, it highlights that her healing was complete and her healing, again, was immediate. In that moment, she was completely healed. F- further, there's this reference to her having a fever, so she wasn't demon-possessed. She had, she, she had a physical illness that Jesus heals her immediately, completely, of this physical illness. Now this kind of relates then to the third point I, I want to make. that the, In verse 16, if you look back at verse 16, there's a distinction between those who were oppressed by demons and those who were sick. Now the, the distinction highlights that the ancients in the first century understood this distinction. Now, I think sometimes modern people today, frankly, kind of arrogantly look back at the first century and we say, oh, well, you know, they believed if somebody had a fever, that a cold, it was some sort of demon. Well, that, that's not their belief at all. They, they make a clear distinction between the two. They know when someone is physically sick and they know when someone is spiritually sick. Now, I think it's probably more of an indictment on us today that we don't always know those distinctions. However, the point here is that Jesus actually heals both, doesn't he? Jesus heals the physical ailments, and he heals the spiritual ailments. He he heals both of those things. And in a more narrow way, Jesus brings healing to the lady's spiritual and physical ailments. He he does both. He can heal both of those. This means that Jesus can heal. He can heal all sorts, all categories of ailments. And that means, ladies, that Jesus can be trusted. But fourth, I want you to notice the, the reference to Isaiah here. And he's probably quoting from Isaiah 53. And the reason why that has slipped in there is he wants us to see that all of this physical and spiritual healing that happens, it points to something greater. The, the point of Jesus coming was not to heal everybody. The point of Jesus coming was to heal people in, in such a way that it pointed to the fact that he is indeed the Messiah. So, th- so this highlights a, uh, a messianic prophecy being fulfilled. What he's saying here is that, listen, when Jesus healed, it validated that he was the Christ. Therefore, Jesus might not heal your ailment, but he will certainly heal your soul. And that's the most important thing that he's come for. That, yes, does Jesus heal us physically? He does at times. It's not the norm. But but Jesus always offers to heal your soul. That's ultimately why he came. And those physical healings, they point to the fact that he is the Christ, and that's the thing we're supposed to believe. So the question is, do you believe Jesus? We're going to look at verses 21 to 28 This is the faith of the Canaanite woman. And in Matthew chapter 15, we're going to see that Jesus brings healing, not in general, but in this case, he brings healing to the humble. Follow along in Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman uh, from, from that region came out and was crying, "'Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David!' My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And then she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Just for your reference, this story is also found in Mark chapter 7. And, And I want you to maybe get a sense of the wildness of this scene. I mean here they are walking along doing the ministry that, you know, they're called to do, they're healing people, they're teaching. And here this lady is screaming at him. She's, she's yelling at him, all these things. And I always giggle at this story because the disciples kind of come to him rolling there. and like, please get rid of this lady for us. I mean, they're, they're beat down by what's going on here. And she's just, she's pressuring him in this way. However, their response, which is not very patient, right? It's not very loving. Their response highlights the nature of Jesus's response, okay? Th- this story always kind of uh, rises up this issue of, of being called a dog. No one ever wants to be called a dog, and we're going to get to that term in a minute. But the fact that uh, she is screaming and the, the uh, disciples are so impatient towards her, it demonstrates that Jesus responds in a distinct way. Jesus doesn't respond in, in the same way of, of just trying to get rid of her. But notice her posture towards Jesus as well. You see, in verse She begged, or verse 22, she begs him for mercy, number one. But then second, she demonstrates this great faith that Jesus is the Messiah. Like she calls him Lord. She calls him the son of David. These are all these messianic titles that she gives to him. What's going on there is that she is humbling herself before him. Like she's begging him for healing, but she's also recognized she's at this lower place than him. She has this posture of humility with him. But but then, again, Jesus' posture towards her is interesting. It is certainly true that Jews in the first century would call Gentiles dogs. And and they didn't mean that kindly. They meant that very harshly. However, the term, the Greek term that is used here for Jesus, that he calls her uh, a dog, this really has the idea of a beloved pet or a lap dog or a puppy There's a sense that the term that he uses is kind of a term of endearment. It's different than kind of the harsh term that the Jews would use uh, for the Gentiles of their day. But ultimately, it is clear that Jesus is acknowledging that he has this primary ministry to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. But the truth, uh, (laughs) I love her response, and and truth sometimes kind of spills out in unguarded moments, right? Like when you think about a politician, when they have a gaffe, sometimes that gaffe is them telling the truth, Right? Like that's kind of what's going on here. Like like he has this response to her about dogs and crumbs falling on the floor. But again, it highlights her heart that the truth of her heart is, is that she views herself in this, this humbled state before him. Even the dogs eat the crumbs. That's how she views herself. She views herself in this humbled state. And what this highlights is is that Jesus brings healing to the humble. Again, Jesus is the Christ and thus he can be trusted. Ladies, if you're in a humble position, maybe you've fallen lower in ways than you ever thought you would fall, I want you to know that Jesus meets you there. Jesus is in that pit with you. Jesus doesn't run away from the humble. Jesus doesn't think that he's too high and exalted, that he can't relate and come down to the humble state of someone. This lady is at a very humbled state, but he meets her in the mess, if you will. He, he comes down into the pit that she has fallen into. So believe that Jesus brings healing to the humble. Okay, let's look at the third story. Turn over to Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five. And we're gonna see that Jesus also brings healing to the hurting. Mark chapter five, 21 to 43. Let me start in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed Again, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, uh, Jairus, by name. And seeing him, he fell at Jesus' feet and implored him, earnestly saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her so that she may be well and alive. And he went with him. Now, Jesus is bringing healing to the hurting here. And in fact, in this story, he's actually going to heal two people. Uh, But this story is also recorded in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9. But this is this great example of Jesus not just healing one person, but two people. Let, Let me keep reading in verse 24. And the great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians. And it's been all that she had and was no better you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Again, another amazing account of of faith in Jesus Christ as the healer. Another amazing moment of him healing. You see, in her hurt, in her pain, she, she believed, she hoped in him, she trusted him, and went to him as the solution. Jesus, uh, I, I want us to highlight that uh, one important thing that I always take away from this story, that Jesus was not too busy for those uh, who were hurting around him. Now, let's pause here for a second. Jesus is, is busier than, than you'll ever be. Jesus was more in demand than you'll ever be. And, and the commitments that he had, they were more grave and burdensome than the commitments that you have. Think of it even in this account. He, he's, someone is dying, and, and he's rushing to them, right? And in that moment of someone dying and him rushing to heal them, he, he stops and is very present with this woman and heals her. Now, for the record, and I have the task list that I keep on my phone and I think all those things are so important and all those uh, you know meetings that I have are so important I've never been rushing to like pray over someone because they're gonna die and I'm gonna raise them from the dead I've, I've never had that happen to me okay now maybe if you're a doctor you you have these or a nurse you have these moments but, but I just want to highlight here that Jesus is busy Jesus has real burdens on him however he's not too busy for her Like he's he's present with hurting people. Jesus is never too busy to heal your hurts. Do you see that here? Isn't that amazing? In his busyness, he's willing to stop and focus and bring healing to this woman's life. Further, I think in this, Jesus becomes a model for us. He becomes a model for how we're supposed to treat each other in general. But but man, I think more specifically, I think Jesus as the ideal man... I think he becomes a model for how men are supposed to treat women in this moment. Like, I think in this moment, there is a vulnerable, hurting woman in his presence. Jesus is very busy, but he doesn't stop in that moment. Like, like he, doesn't, he doesn't rush past her. He focuses in on her. He's very present with her in that moment. Right? Like, he doesn't just rush off to the next thing. And I think, again, this is a model for how men are supposed to treat women. It's a reminder for men not to rush past hurting women. Are, are you making space, gentlemen, are you making space for the vulnerable women in your life? Do you, do you have time for the hurting women in your life? Or, or do you just rush past that? Do you, do you blame your your task list and all the busy things you have to do? Or do you have space in your life to minister to the many bringing healing to hurting women? Okay, that's enough. Let's pick up in verse, in verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the church any further? Do I need a new battery? Do you want to switch it out? I'm not for that. Mark chapter 5, <laughs> verse 35. <laughs> All right. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. Verse 38, they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion? and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this. And he told them to give her something to eat. Amazing story. Jesus brings healing Jesus brings healing to the humble he brings healing to the hurting and all these examples they demonstrate that Jesus is the Christ he's the one we're to believe in the one we're to follow the, the one we're to turn to is the solution to all of our problems He serves as a model I think for men today and and, uh, uh, our, and, I, and I think that's a great question for men are, are we treating women with the same patience and with the same heart we're uh, we're a source of healing for women today. Are, are you that same source of healing? Healing is clearly, I think, the, the theme of Jesus' relationship to women here. And I, and I wanted to look at these different stories to, to see the pattern here that Jesus over and over heals women. He heals them physically. I think he heals them spiritually. And there's this theme that he has of how Jesus relates to women. But, but I want to add one more story to answer the question, why? Why does Jesus heal women? Like, what's behind that? What's the, the motivation for this? What's his heart behind this healing? Turn to Luke chapter 7, and this will be the last, uh, the last uh, uh, passage we look at. Jesus' healing comes from a compassionate heart. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nan, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died, was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when Jesus saw her, here it is, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the briar and the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, The great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited His people." And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all of the surrounding country. Today, we've looked at two instances of Jesus raising somebody from the dead, and three instances of Jesus healing people. I was very hesitant to lay all these stories together. I was, I was very hesitant. To kind of line all these stories up together and and even maybe to see the theme of it and and my hesitation is is that I don't want someone to walk away and to feel like this is normal this is not normal right like meaning I, I don't want you to walk away feeling like you're supposed to expect Jesus to raise all children who have died from the dead And then if he doesn't, then become angry with him when he chooses not to heal you of your pain. Let's be clear about the math here. During the first century when Jesus was alive, during his ministry, people died every day and he didn't heal them. He didn't raise them from the dead, right? Like most of the people, the vast majority of people who died during Jesus' day, he did not raise them from the dead. And and those who were sick, the vast majority of them were not healed from their ailments in Jesus's day. Now, as we saw earlier in that reference to Isaiah, these healings, this raising from the dead, it's out of this compassionate heart. It's to minister them, but it's also to point to this greater thing. But, but we need to be clear that this is not how he normally acts. Let me give you an example. When my father passed away in November of 2021 20, from COVID, God chose not to raise him from the dead. And you know what? God is still good. Amen. And, and I want to be clear and pick on my dad for a second. He knew it was coming. And this is a man that was at peace with the Lord because of the gospel. And he was at peace in that moment. He wasn't angry at God about it. So when God doesn't heal you or he doesn't raise someone from the dead, he is no less good in that moment. Amen? That was my great hesitation about lining all this up together. I don't want us to walk away from here. This is how Jesus always operates. That he's not good unless he heals somebody or raises someone from the dead. But here's why Luke 7, I think, is so important, and really why it's the driving passage for this whole series Jesus' healing comes from a compassionate heart. That's the why, that's the motivation. Jesus felt something on the inside when he saw that poor woman suffering. He felt something on the inside, and it moved him to do something on the outside he felt deeply for this poor widow I mean, can you imagine her sorrow like here this woman had lost her husband and and any widow walks through this 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 emotional grief and the dealing with the loneliness the the pain of it and and remember this is first century okay like this is all compounded with like fear of the future another way of saying that like they, they didn't have whole life and term life insurance in the first century you with me like, like, she doesn't know how she's going to be taken care of following this. Now, that, that's always the case for a widow today, but, but that's even exaggerated in the first century. She has real sorrow. She has real anxieties in the moment. And you know who is going to take care of her? That one son that she has. And now, th- things just get worse. Things get worse for her. The unimaginable, the, the worst thing that I think could happen, happens. I, like, I can't even think about losing one of my children, right? The... the the worst thing then happens in that moment. So when we're at our deepest pain, in our most frightening moments, Jesus has compassion for us. When you hurt, He hurts. Like, like when, when you're suffering, He suffers with you. He feels your pain. He's weeping when you're weeping. He always takes pity on us. And out of this compassionate heart, He then ministers to us. That doesn't mean we're, we're always going to get what we want. He didn't raise my nephew from the dead. He didn't heal my father-in-law, but, it does, but he does promise to meet us in our pain. He also brings us the best sort of healing. It's the sort of healing according to his sovereign grace, but it's always out of this compassionate heart for us. He always has compassion for us in our suffering. Ladies, I pray that you see that this is a theme in the Bible. This is a theme for you that he has compassion for you. No matter what you're walking through, no matter what pain you're going through, this is a theme that he has compassion for you. This is his instinctive response to you. You see, he has concern for your misfortune, misfortunes. He's sympathetic when you're suffering. He, he weeps when you weep. He is empathetic and shares in your pain. He has compassion for you. Like he did with that widow, Jesus suffers with you. However, let's push this a little further. Compassion is actually... More than and better than empathy, right? If you get real technical, these definitions, right? He doesn't just feel your pain. Out of that feeling, he then acts. He he attempts to then alleviate your suffering. That's the real true definition of compassion. Jesus is driven by his feelings to minister to you. See, it doesn't just stop in his his feelings or uh, or what's going on on the inside or in his heart, but but it leads to to ministry. But this ministry, it is grounded in those feelings. I mean, it's not like, it's not cold and calculating. Like, it's not driven by spreadsheets, okay? It's not like, well, I've got this much money, we can give this amount, and I'll give it to this and this and this. It's not cold and calculating. It's, it's heartfelt. It's, it's his heart's desire to minister to you. But it doesn't just stop at his feelings. It, it leads to actual ministry, and his timing is always perfect. Jesus suffers with you, and then Jesus provides the solution. Jesus has a glorious history of healing women, many women. And all of that, uh, and and the reason for that, the reason for that healing is because he has a compassionate heart for women. Ladies, he feels something for you when you're hurting. He steps into that with you. And his healing demonstrates that he is the Christ. He's the one that you can trust for all of your pain, all of your struggles. If he's the Messiah, he's the one you can turn to. And even further, men, men, He's the model of manhood, isn't he? Like he makes time, even in his busyness, for those who are hurting. He, he is present with a hurting woman, even in his busyness. And we should follow that example. But his healings also offer genuine hope for those who have faith in him. Believe in Jesus' compassion for you. Do you believe Jesus has compassion for you today? I think that's the question of the series. Are you turning to him for healing? Be- because Some men have been harsh to you, ladies. Do you believe that Jesus is also going to be harsh with you? Maybe the world has become a hard place for you, but do you believe Jesus is with you in that hardness and working for you in that hardness? Do you believe Jesus has compassion for you? In other words, are you turning to Him in your pain? Do you believe all that? Do you believe all that when someone or maybe a circumstance causes you to question your identity? Maybe someone says you're not good enough or you're not a good mom or, or whatever it is. Do, do, you, do you question your identity in that moment or, or do you turn to Christ and say, how, did, how does Christ view me? He, he has compassion for you in that moment. He, he still views you as a, his daughter, his beloved daughter. His posture towards you in that pain is compassion. Let me ask you this too. Are you content in his compassion. Is that enough for you? Or in the way he chooses to minister to you, you say, no, 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 that's not good enough. I expect this, or I want this. Do you humbly submit to his sovereign and goodwill in your life? Are you content with the compassion that he gives you? I, I wrote a really cool story this week of, um, of, I think it's a great example of how God treats us uh, during the Korean war a, a Presbyterian pastor from Chicago, he was invited to go to Korea and, and minister to the American soldiers. He was doing revivals over there. And one day while he was over there, uh, uh, a young boy snuck up on him and, and stole his coat and ran off. Korea is very cold where he was. And so he chased the kid. He chased him and he kind of gets around the corner and he, he, he goes into kind of this slum area of the city. And then he spots his coat. It's laying kind of in the, in the door frame of this little kind of shanty slum uh, building. And he gets there and he picks up his coat and there's a the little boy underneath the coat and he's shivering and he's scared. And he kind of looks up and in this, in this little slum house, if you will, he sees all these other little kids. They're, they're all orphans of, of soldiers who were fighting in the war. And they're all very thin. They're, they're starving. They're very cold. They don't have enough clothes to, to wear. They don't have blankets and coats. And, and he feels what all of us would feel. He, he feels real compassion for him. So he goes back to the hotel, he buys all this soup, and he feeds them all a meal. And then he goes and buys all these blankets, and, and he gives all these little blankets away. Now, he had noticed something going on, but hadn't really taken much attention to it. But he had noticed that in the mornings, these trucks would drive through the city, and it looked like they were throwing rags in the back of, the, in the back of these big trucks. And he noticed it one day after this incident, and so he goes and kind of inspects it. And what was happening was these weren't rags being thrown into the truck. This, he saw the horrifying scene of these were the bodies, the dead bodies of these little orphan children who were being thrown into the back of the truck. You see, they didn't have enough to eat, and many of them were just freezing to death over the night. Now, hear me: the Korean government was overwhelmed. Okay, they weren't necessarily doing anything wrong here. They were they were just trying to survive a civil war. But because of all this, they would, they would have to send out groups where in the night they would uh, go to these little slum areas and they would kind of shake all these rags to see if any of the children had passed away and they would scoop them up and haul them off. And again, this broke his heart like it would all of ours. This is the 1950s and as this pastor is flying home, the, the plane had those big propellers and, and he reports that in the hum of those, prope- uh, those propellers, He felt like God, over and over, kept asking him a question. As he was listening to the humming of those propellers and praying, he felt like God was asking him, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Just over and over and over. You see, these children were not rags to be tossed aside, but they were objects of compassion. This was God's heart for these children. This was God's heart for us. That's how Compassion International started. You familiar with that ministry? The ministry is an amazing ministry. They have a great mission statement. It says they seek to release children from poverty in Jesus' name. I love that. They work in 25 different countries, and, and a real, it's a real holistic ministry to children. Like, like they, they try to release these children from economic, physical, social, spiritual poverty. They minister to over 2 million children a year, and, and it all came out of that moment of seeing something horrible, something awful, something painful, and and not only having these inner heart feelings towards something, but then matching that to ministry. Friends, that's how Jesus relates to you. That type of compassion is the type of compassion that Jesus has for us. The world can be a very harsh place, but Jesus has a glorious history of healing many women. And His healings demonstrate that He's the Christ, And if he's the Christ, then we're to trust him. His healings model manhood. And I I think this is the way men are supposed to live. His healings offer genuine hope for us, that that we can truly trust him and have faith in him. I pray this series has left you with the belief that Jesus has compassion for you. What I mean is that he loves you so much that he feels for you. And out of that feeling that he has for you, he then ministers to you. That's the type of compassion that Jesus has for women. Let me close with a little poem I found from Deborah Ann. It's called, God's Mercy and Compassion. When you feel burdened by the worries you carry, into the future you are more than weary. Know this one thing to be true, God's endless mercies will renew. When you feel heavy laden by your every care, and the thought of tomorrow you cannot seem to bear, Know this one thing to be sure, God's compassions heal and cure. When you are overloaded by your fear and doubt, God's merciful compassion will fail you not. Ladies, I'll never fully know what it's like to, to walk in your shoes, but I pray that you know that Jesus has more compassion for you, more compassion than you'll ever know, no matter what you're walking through. No matter what someone says And I would encourage you with this, no matter even how you feel sometimes, his compassion never runs dry for you. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for just the tender compassion you showed that widow so many centuries ago. I thank you for how it blessed her, how it blessed everybody around her, but how it still blesses us today because it shows us your heart. Your heart for us. Lord, I pray that no matter what we're walking through, that we would believe that you have that same heart for us today. Lord, I pray that we would really believe that it's not just feelings, but it's a ministry. You do things for us. You accomplish things for us. You're with us, working with us at all times. Lord, I pray that we would truly believe, no matter what comes our way, that you have a heart of compassion for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.